So Jesus, help us to see what you see, feel what you feel, and do as you do through the power of your word. We ask this in your name, Lord. Amen. Hello, 945. Good to see all of you. There's a lot of you here today. Uh, just to let you know, this service has been growing fairly steadily for the last year. And in case you don't know, we also have another modern service at 11 in this room. It's the exact same music and same sermon. Only difference is I'm up on the video screen, which some people prefer because when they're bored, they can check Facebook and stuff like that. So um, yeah, if you, wanted, if you wanted to go to the 11 o'clock service, you welcome here. Uh, if you want to go 11 modern as well, just to let you know that opportunity is there as well. Uh, a while back, uh, I came across this chart that said the first three words you see is how your 2015 will be. And the first words I saw were bug, humor, and cats, which I thought was pretty humorous because you know how I feel about cats, right? Like demons with tails. So what's sort of discouraging right now is I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of you are really not paying attention to me. You're trying to figure out the words... <laughs> There, so I'm going to take that down now, so that you you don't get distracted while I'm preaching. Some of you are like, "Oh, my mind wanders when you're preaching, no matter what, Dudley." But, and and by the way, last, a couple weeks ago when I mentioned chocolate chip cookies, you guys inundated me with dozens and dozens. That was awesome. But just to be clear about the cats, no, no, okay. Just want to be clear. Now that chart obviously can't predict anything, but it hints at something very real. Often in life, what you see is what you get. Our horizons can often go no further than our vision can imagine. And vision is a very important topic throughout Scripture. In Proverbs, it says people without a vision perish. And you can see this kind of everywhere. Without a compelling vision in our lives, we can kind of just get up, go to work, make money, buy stuff, do it all over again. But it doesn't add, add up to anything. But if we have a long-term compelling vision, it can guide us in our everyday choices. So for instance, uh, I'm on the board at Whitworth University, and one of the administrators there will often say to teachers and coaches, one way to measure your effectiveness is what are your students saying about you 15 years from now, and how many weddings do you get invited to? And I thought, what a great measurement, right? This vision that I'm going to be that mentor is that so crucial I'll be invited to weddings and that that can guide the decisions that they make uh, every single day, how they react to students and all of that, which is why you should go to Whitworth University. I have done my duty as a board member. <laughs> when there's no vision in a church, often, you know, the, the, for how they want to impact the community around them, often what happens then is people start fighting over music and color of carpet, stupid stuff like that. Right? People without a vision perish. I actually think it should be people without a vision bicker because that's what happens without vision. Now, I need to be careful. When I say vision here on the east side, we start to think, oh, I need to start a company. I need to cure a disease or something like that. But often the most really ultimately world-changing visions start small. The, you know, the parents who have a vision for raising godly men and women. The coach who teaches more than athletic skill but... but, but Life lessons like perseverance and teamwork. These people will never be famous, but they make a big difference and change the world one heart at a time, which, by the way, is the only way the world has ever changed. We're doing a sermon series where we're looking at the history of King County because in the Bible, God works regionally over decades and centuries. And often what God has been doing in a region is a clue to what he wants to keep doing, not only in that region, but in your life and mine. And King County has always been this place of vision. You know, back when the airplane was only seven years old, William Boeing had a vision 
that no one else saw a future in flight. Everyone thought he was crazy, especially since he crashed the first plane that he ever made. But he had a vision. Bill Gates had a vision that has changed the way we live, work, play, and has connected the world more than ever. Costco and Kirkland and Issaquah or Amazon have changed the way the world shops. And these companies don't just affect culture in America. They affect culture globally. Don't you think God would want to use that? The East Side has been very visionary from the beginning. Back in the early 50s when Bellevue had just like one stoplight, it was basically a cow town, and, and the city planners, some of them insisted that some of the streets be able to accommodate six lanes. It seemed crazy at the time, right? But they had this vision. In fact, that's what Bellevue means. I mean, that's what the word means, good view or vision. And this church is part of that, planted in the mid-50s when people on the other side of the lake were saying, oh, yeah, why bother, you know? They don't go to church over there. Redmond. One of my favorite stories coming out of the east side is, is in Redmond, back in the 20s, there was this family called the Lamperts who homesteaded on what is now the Redmond Shopping Center, and they raised cattle, but when Prohibition came, they had this vision. So they sold all their cattle and planted grapes and started making wine. And they also made brewed beer from, from, from a recipe that they'd, home recipe they'd brought over from Belgium with them. People would come from miles around to get some of Ma Lampert's beer. They had a vision in the middle of Prohibition. Right? The kids would also go out and strip bark off of trees, put it in water, and then pour it into discarded beer bottles and sell it as a laxative. They made a fortune. Right? In, in fact, here's a picture from the 20s of them in their field drinking beer or laxative. We're not sure which. Right? It's one of the two. Long before Microsoft, you Redmondites, you were visionary. Not always godly visions, but visionaries. I believe God would want to use that streak in us for good for the good of King County, for the good of you and me. But the only way we're going to find a compelling, noble vision is through Jesus. Our own visions, they can get warped. So we got to lean on Jesus. And Jesus has two visions for us. And the first is Jesus has a vision of you, the real you, who you really are. Not the labels, you know, fat, dumb, ugly, good-looking, success, whatever. Not, but the real you, the you he made you to be. And only Jesus can figure out, help you figure out what you were designed for, the real you, because he made you and he knows you better than you do. And we see in, in this story, we see a process where Jesus is pulling out a vision of Peter for who he could be, right? And in this story, he says to the disciples, you know, I will make you fishers of people or fisher of men in the old King James. Uh, follow, uh, from now on, you will catch people. And I've always thought it was interesting that he, that he takes fishermen and he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will have you catch people. That is, he doesn't say, I'm going to turn you into orthopedic surgeons or even ichthologists, you know, people who study fish. But he takes who they are, what they do, their gifts, their skills, their passions. He doesn't change all of that. He just enhances it and refocuses and channels it in a spiritual direction. And in the process, taps their deeper longings to matter, to make a difference in the world. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Parker Palmer says, there's a life that wants to be led through you. What is it? There's a life that is trying to be led through you. What is it? And that may or may not have anything to do with your job or volunteer work. I mean, it may or it may be just doing what you do normally, but differently. But there's a life that's trying to get out. What is it? So, for instance, when I taught, I was always that instructor who would hold the extra long office hours, and when I was done critiquing their papers, and I'd always say to the students, so how's it really going? You know, like, how are you feeling about school? And how's that thing with your girlfriend working out? And what are the stress points? And I mean, I was asking all these questions. Basically, a pastor, 
right? Like that, that wasn't my job. I was a teacher, but, but this, there was this pastor thing that kept coming out of me. And I, that would be true of any job. Like I could be a truck driver, but I would do it very pastorly. You know, I, I'd be that guy in the truck stop saying to the other trucks, truck drivers, but how does that make you feel? You know, I may get beat up, but I'd be very pastoral in the process. That's the life that wants to be led through. What is it for you? See, and only Jesus can really help us figure that out. In Mark's version of this story, Jesus says to the disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Not your own efforts, not taking some class, not disc or strength finders. Those can be helpful, but it's as we follow Jesus daily, and I'll get to that in a minute, that we finally discover and unearth who he made us to be. And it's a daily thing. It doesn't happen all at once. And you see that process in this story. After Jesus provides this amazing catch of fish, Peter sort of clues in that this is not a norm, normal person, it's God. And, and he fell, it says that he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And this is sort of step one of figuring out our vision. Right? That is, when we get close to Jesus and see what real love and integrity and compassion, we realize how far we fall short, our flaws. That's why Peter says, go away, I'm sinful. But that's just the first step of getting down to the who we really are, the vision God has for us, there's a second step. See, twas grace that taught my heart to fear, but then what does grace do? My fear's relieved. So then Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. See, because of his flaws, Peter has limited himself. He's basically saying, I can't be used by God. I, I'm just a fisherman. I'm not holy enough or good enough. I'm totally messed up. I'm not educated. I'm not smart. I'm not good looking. I don't have this or that. Whatever we tell ourselves, right? I always find it kind of interesting that whenever I'm over at people's house for dinner or something like that, when it comes time to say grace, all eyes on me, right? Like, as though I had some special pastor sauce I could pour over the food when I prayed or stuff like that, right? And if people don't even feel qualified to pray, right? But God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And basically what Jesus says to Peter is, yes, Peter, I am well aware of your many incompetencies, but I will make you a fisher of people. I will qualify. I will transform you if you follow me one day at a time. See, life just robs us of vision, doesn't it? Like it just saps vision, right? Those labels you've been given. You know, dumb, fat, whatever, stupid, whatever. But also the good ones, successful, you know, that sort of trap us in performance orientation. Robs us of vision of who we could be. Or maybe in your job, you've got a vision for what could happen, but then someone says, oh, that'll never happen. That'll never work. Or in your marriage, you say, I think we could make this better. And your spouse says, oh, you're never going to change. Or someone sends you a harsh, critical email and just kind of zaps vision right out of you. Or just the daily grind of life, man. Right? Like day in, day out. In this text, Jesus says to the disciples, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. In other words, Jesus sees potential that they don't see. He has a vision. But watch what Peter says. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. You ever feel like that? Now, I have been working and working and working, and it isn't getting me anywhere. Just the daily grind of work and life just can rob us of vision and hope, and so we don't see the bigger picture. I recently saw a video that kind of captures how we can be so caught up in the daily details in front of us that we kind of miss the bigger picture. It's at a Chicago Bulls game where they're doing this kiss cam thing where if the camera goes on you, you have to kiss the person next to you. There's one guy, though, that's not seeing the larger context. Take a look. 
man, that is me. Right? That is head down, so focused on the daily grind, I can't see the bigger picture. I mean, I'll walk right by you, not even say hello, as many of you have experienced. Blanket apology. Right? So how do we get out of the daily grind that just saps, how do we get that bigger vision? Here's the deal. you got to follow Jesus daily, one step at a time. Because he ain't given the whole picture all at once. Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of people. And you can kind of see the disciples going, sweet. I'm a people fisher now. That is awesome. By the way, Jesus, what does that mean anyway? And how do I get there? And what do I need along the way? Are we there yet? And what does Jesus say to all of our anxious questions for details now, details now, details now? He says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of people you got to follow me, and it's got to be one day at a time. I'm only going to reveal it one day at a time. The Greek verb used there stresses repetitive, continuous action. Follow me, and I will make you eventually to become fishers of people. So often, we want God to just download the 20-year plan with all the details, but if he did, our brains, they are too small to comprehend it. We wouldn't be able to see it. I've told you before, when, if God had told me in my 20s that I was going to be a pastor of a church here on the east side, I'd have died of a heart attack. Like, or I would have said, no, whoa, 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 let this cut pass from me, Lord. No, that, you know, there was no way that I would have been able to see at that point that it was good. So instead, Jesus says, I'm going to take you on a journey. And there's going to be high and low, good and bad, hard and easy. Your job, just stick with me through the whole thing. And I will do in you what you can't imagine day by day. I will pull out of you the real you, the vision I had when I made you. Your job is you just stick with me. And I'll give you an example of how that works in just a minute. But it's basically the way you do that. It's about praying. It's about listening. It's about depending on the Holy Spirit. And then there's a really important thing. you got to obey what he says to do. When Jesus tells the disciples to put out into deeper water for a catch, Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do this crazy thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? We've tried. It doesn't work, Lord. Right? But following Jesus means we do things that are difficult, that are crazy, that seem counterculture, because he says so. I mean, Peter easily could have said, listen, Jesus, listen, Jesus, that's cute, Jesus. Like, I am the fishing expert here, okay? Like, I'll catch the fish, you save the world, okay? Let's just do it that way. But he doesn't. He obeys. And we often think we're the expert on our lives. As I said, you know, in my 20s, I never wanted to be a pastor. God knew my heart better than I knew my heart, but I, it, only, it had to be revealed day by day. And I know, the well, how do I know what God wants me to do? I, look, let's just start with what you know. All right, Bible's pretty clear on a lot of stuff. Take risks to be part of his rescue mission. Love the people that are in front of you every day. You know, and then be asking him every single day, Jesus, how do you want to use me today? And then every once in a while, you're going to get one of those nudges, thought that isn't your thought, check it against scripture with some friends, and then do it, even if it doesn't make sense to you. There used to be a bumper sticker years ago that said, God is my co-pilot. Here's the deal. If God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. Otherwise, Jesus is just your consultant. I heard someone this week say, I don't like to hire consultants because all they do is they charge you a bunch of money, take your watch, tell you what time it is, and give the watch back. Right? <laughs> Apologies to you consultants out there. I'm using it metaphorically. Is Jesus your consultant? Or is he your Savior and your Lord? That's what I think Jesus means when he says to Peter, put out into deeper water and let down the nets. The deeper water is doing what he says to do. So if Jesus seems unreal, small, or shallow, it's because we're paddling in the shallow water. 
not doing what he asks us to do. While the overflowing nets, the abundant catch, man, it is in the deeper, colder, scarier, but ultimately more rewarding waters out there. And it is never too late to start. Right? The best time to plant an oak tree was 20 years ago. What's the second best time to plant an oak tree? Today. Right? There is a life that wants to be led through you. Stick with Jesus and he'll pull it out of you. Which brings me to the second vision Jesus has, and that is a vision he wants to accomplish through you. He has a vision of you, who you could be, and a vision to do through you. Peter goes from making a living to making a difference. It's just this small event, just some fishermen following a homeless itinerant preacher, but that small event eventually changed the world. And here he gets at one of our deepest desires, deeper, deeper, deepest drives, maybe even more than sex and other drives, to matter, to make a difference. Right? To leave a mark. And so Jesus never says to us, follow me and I'll get you into heaven. He says, follow me and I'll heal the world through you. A while back I told you a story of a real estate developer who one day felt nudged to ask a barista in a Starbucks in a building that he owned, just how are you doing? And when she said fine, he said, no, no, really. And that led to this months-long mentoring of this barista where he was able to help her overcome some difficult losses in her life, some real pain points, and set her up for a future of success in a variety of ways. When he told me that story, he had so much joy on his face because it got at this life that wanted to be lived through him, which is to make a difference, to help people thrive. In fact, that's why he went into development in the first place, to create spaces that brought communities together and help people thrive. Right? Or this story. In fact, pay attention to this story because it illustrates how we do this with Jesus thing as he brings a vision out day by day. This story of a woman, I just heard, a woman who cleans office buildings in, in downtown at night. And she wanted to be used by Jesus, so she started to pray, expand my vision. Prayed it every day. How can I help others? Right? Which was tough because everyone was gone in the offices that she cleaned because it was, you know, at night. So she thought, well, at least I can do my job well. Right? They'll, they'll, they'll work better if the offices are clean. So she strove to be the best cleaning lady ever. But every day, she kept praying, Jesus, expand my vision. Help me see what you see. This is what I mean. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Every day, day by day, he brings the vision out. She kept praying that. A few months later, she realized, wait, there's more. And she felt this nudge to every night sit down at each desk and pray for the person in that desk that God would bless them, that they'd know his love, they'd find joy in their work, and that the Holy Spirit would fill that office. She did that for several months and every day kept praying, Lord, what, you know, show me, show me, what's next, what's next? Well, then she realized, wait, there's even more. Got another nudge, started to leave a note of encouragement at every desk. Dear so-and-so, here's my prayer for you today. Well, one night she came in to clean offices and a whole bunch of people jumped out from behind a closed office door and said, surprise, right? And they said, we just had to meet you because for the last year, the, the, the atmosphere around here has been completely different. We, 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 we're working better together. We fight less. We're more innovative. We're having more fun. We're more creative. There's more joy. Even our clients have noticed this massive difference in the office, and we haven't gotten a new manager or we haven't changed protocols. The only thing we could think of to explain this was you. See, she cleaned offices, but her real job, the bigger vision Jesus gave her, the life that wanted to be led through her, that he pulled out of her day by day, was she cleaned atmosphere. She cleaned relationships. She healed. 
She prayed out the spirit of the enemy that brings division, discord, and discouragement and prayed in the Holy Spirit that brings renewal, life, unity, and joy. And in a high-stress business environment where you don't always feel cared for as a person, she made sure every day each person felt like they were loved for who they were. And she showed them Jesus because they all knew she was praying because she said it. Changed an entire company and a ton of people in it. And in the process, her job got way more meaningful. And she got the joy of all these new friends and making a huge difference. And she knew that God was working through her. Now, at first, the vision wasn't clear at all, right? She had to follow God every day, step by step by step. And it slowly was revealed. And it wasn't some grandiose save the world thing, just a cleaning lady in an office. And I'm sure she might have felt really silly sometimes, like, do these people think I'm an idiot, saying I'm going to pray for them? Like, are they making fun of me? Is this doing any good at all? Does this ma- am I just making my job longer and harder, and do they think I'm a fool? But she did it, because Jesus said so. So how about you? How about between now and Easter, that's two weeks, how about every day you pray this prayer, Jesus, when you look at me, what do you see? What is the life that is trying to be lived through me? Pray that every day and then just listen for maybe thoughts that aren't your thoughts. Pray that every day, you know, put a reminder on your calendar every day. You know, there's got to be an app or something for it. You know, just do that. And then follow the cleaning lady method, which is ask Jesus for a bigger vision every single day and see what he does. And can you imagine what would happen if we all did that? Like, we can't transform King County. We can't do that. But Jesus can do that through us. And what, what could he do if every person here caught a vision of who Jesus made us to be and what he wants to get done through us? You know, there's about 4,000 of us in this church, give or take. You just don't all show up at the same time. That's actually part of our business plan. When you all show up, it's called Easter, which is, you know, <laughs> awesome, but it takes some doing, right? So there's 4,000, yeah, that's 4,000 schools, 4,000 offices, 4,000 hospitals, 4,000 neighborhoods that could be transformed if we did what that cleaning lady did. And here's the other thing. Many of the companies we're in, they're not just changing culture locally, they're changing culture around the world. God wants to use that. What could be the net impact of, of all, if all of us you know, got Jesus' vision, all 4,000 of us got Jesus' vision How would that change? How would that change the companies, our neighborhoods, the world? You know, if you look through Scripture, God often, usually, actually, works through cities. Nothing against country folk, but cities are this place where the nations mingle. So you get the good news of Jesus going there, and then folks take it all around the world back to their home countries. That's why the Apostle Paul always went not just to cities, but strategic cities, as Seattle is, that were culture shapers. That's why God sends Jonah to Nineveh, largest city of the time. Heaven is described as a city. We start in the garden, but we end in a city. God has a heart for the city. God has a heart for this city because it is so strategic. You know, one of the things that drew me here was when I was in California thinking about this job, and I thought about I could stand in a pulpit in Silicon Valley and say, how might God want to transform Silicon Valley? Or I could stand here and say, how might God want to transform King County? Everything in me was drawn here. It's home. For me, I mean, man, just look at that picture, right? I mean, I mean, I know it rains here a lot, and I know, as my friend Mike Howardin said, it's like living under the lettuce mister in the grocery store. I know, but, <laughs> but man, when it does that, it does that, right? I mean, that's that's part of what I love about about living in this place. I mean, you can be driving down the ugliest section of Aurora. Right? And you come around a corner and there's Mount Rainier and suddenly you're like, then sings my soul. <laughs> you know, it's just like this most amazing place. 
right? What if every one of us caught the vision Jesus wants to do through us just like that cleaning lady did? And what if more and more people found the security and joy that comes from knowing that you are loved by the God of the universe? Then this place might not just be a place of a, vi a vision, a bell view. It might also be a Kirkland too. Founded by Peter Kirk. But if you're Scottish, what does Kirk mean? It means church. What if, what if this place became known as Kirkland, Churchland? Because so many people knew Jesus. As block by block, company by company, school by school, Jesus heals, transforms, revives, and brings life. What if, what if, what would happen if we saw the world and ourselves through Jesus' eyes? What would happen with just a little bit of vision? So Jesus, help us to see what you see, feel what you feel, and do what you do. That this place might become what you've always imagined, and that we would be the people you created us to be as we partner with you in renewing the world. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.